0: My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at ProBible.com. Today, as always, I'm joined with my co-host, Kate Onder, who you could find writing about video games over at ComicBook.com. And today is our interview with Deadpool screenwriters Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. 30-minute chat. It was awesome. Those guys were a delight. We actually got quite a few scoops, one of which has been picked up. Gave us what I guess is the first sort of details about Deadpool 3, which I didn't really realize when they were saying <laughs> it because I was just more so asking about Deadpool in the MCU. But I guess that effectively means Deadpool 3. Right. Uh, so we've got that scoop for you. We've got, they confirmed that they're developing a, a show about New Coke, which was, Kate, I don't know. Have you heard of that? New Coke was a drink in the 80s, That Yeah, I was going
1: to say that before my time.
0: <laughs> well, before mine as well, but it was infamous.
1: uh Coke was like
0: sales weren't doing well and I think they were losing a Pepsi. So they tried to roll out like a new ingredient formulized Coke and people fucking hated it. (laughs) it. So there's that one, those cowards at deadline and THR and whatnot have yet to pick it up I think it was Paul who Lily said to me, "Here's a scoop for you." <laughs> <laughs> and these fuckers. Will... And then third and lastly, they said that they are working on a McDonald's film titled "McScam," which is in fact the same project, Kate, that you brought up to me that had Matt Damon and Ben Affleck attached to it a few years ago. I don't know Sweet. if they still are. They didn't bring that up, right. but because they because these two guys were attached to it back then too. So okay. I guess, yeah, yeah,
1: that's good. I'm, right, I was really excited for that.
0: And then uh today we're also going to talk about some of these social reactions to thor love and thunder and have a discussion about phase four and and uh sort of the current discussion around The big bad, i.e. Kevin Feige sort of gave a quote in the last few weeks saying like fans will sort of learn more about where this next saga is going. So we'll talk about that now. Miss Marvel episode three came out this week. Miss Marvel in and of itself is people really like it. I've been enjoying it, but it's also had the lowest MCU show viewership thus far. I don't think that that's necessarily surprising, but given that and also given that it's very much an origin story. She's in her early days. It hasn't really been plot heavy as of yet. So we're just going to probably combine Episodes three and four, and talk about that next week. But first, bit of news. Uh, we talked about the Game of Thrones sequel series last week when it was first announced, but we're gonna to touch on a bit more today because now it's been confirmed that, and even George RR has come out and said it, and Amelia Clark has said it. Kid Harrington is the one who virtually came up with this idea and brought the idea with his own team of writers to HBO and to George RR to pitch it for them. And I think I have a few thoughts. I'll let you go first since as we've touched on a few times on the show, you haven't seen Thrones, but you do from what you understand, enjoy the Jon Snow character.
1: Yeah. Uh I think I, I've said it already on, on Twitter, but like it's cool when actors care as much about their characters as much as the fans do and get involved and try to bring something to that and have the ability to say either no or create something so i think this is really cool uh the way i said i imagined it is like k harrington walking into hbo and is being i'm gonna make us all so much money like because this is going to be a big hit like regardless i mean this is just gonna send hbo max subscriptions skyrocketing for game of thrones fans if this other spinoff that's coming out doesn't uh so it, it's really cool
0: I think what's key is that the reason that his name and Jon Snow is attached to it, not because it's inherently a Jon Snow show, just he is involved in it. So I'm, right. I would love to see like if Kit went back to them pitching it as a full blown sequel series. Let's bring back Arya and Sansa and Brianna Tarth and Torment and whoever else is still alive out there and run this shit back. Now my brain goes into two thoughts. Like Kit Harrington had a very famously complicated relationship with playing john snow of course mm-hmm. to put him on the map it also made him one of those like as i've touched on before like an almost harry styles boy band uh, obsession formed right. around him which of course has consequences on one's mind and soul that i, I can't really comprehend since i've course. never had that but he you know was public about the fact that it led him to have some addiction problems and he checked himself into rehab so clearly now he's in a better state of mind to play john snow and that's great yeah. because just like you i love the character i think that it's as i've talked about sort of like the archetypal fantasy swordsman hero type i think right. that the whole idea of him being royalty blood but just sort of being like a lunch pail blue collar uh guy is like who wants nothing to do with it is quite fun both in terms of how it makes the character exists in this world, but also because it became like a meme towards the end, like this poor Mm -hmm. fucking guy wants nothing to do with all this. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the two roads that it leads me down is A, I wonder if he's seen shows like, well, A, I would want to know how long this has been in the works, right? Since the start of the year, since the start of last year, right? Like how long has this been cooked up? But it makes me wonder if he has seen what the likes of Disney Plus have been doing and sort of characterizing their shows, that's A. Culminating in Obi-Wan, which I think is probably like of all the Disney Plus shows we've seen Marvel or MCU, I mean, Marvel or Star Wars, that's probably the closest comp to what Jon Snow is, right? He's sort of this lone, usually depressed, (laughs) uh, like hero of heroes, right? Like Jon Snow in the Game of Thrones world is known as like an elite stewardsman, right? Like he's like that dude. So that's thought A, but thought B makes me think if Eternals was a smash hit and it had a 92% and and people were like, I need more Dane Whitman, give us the Dane Whitman show. And, and, or if Eternals two was a more sought after film, I wonder, I guess the point is, I wonder how much is based on how much how much he genuinely wants to return to Jon Snow, which I'm sure he does. Or if his post Thrones career, which hasn't really been that long, it's only been three years hasn't quite panned out the way that he wanted to because it hasn't even been three years since like three years to the date, maybe in a few weeks or a, a Probably, month or so. Yeah. But the fact that he's already ready to run it back is quite shocking. I think a lot of people are surprised yeah. to hear him, especially it's like, all right, I'm back.
1: Yes, so. I was. Uh, that's how I felt too. No, you make a very good point about eternal kind of bombing for lack of a better term. Um I mean, I know. lot of people liked him of all the things in that movie he doesn't have a lot to do in it but people are like i'm interested in this and it's possibly sets up him being involved with blade or something like so I, i i do wonder how much he will he will be in the mcu going forth but i i wouldn't be surprised it's like well you know if you're gonna be Jon snow that's a yearly commitment you know for shows like that right you are well, that's what
0: I wonder about. if they head into it with, like, we've got three seasons mapped in and right.
1: out. You know what I mean? Yeah, that could make the most sense. I mean, if they if they have a concrete plan in place so that he can still go run off and do some stuff with Marvel. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if this is another five to eight season show, I mean, that's, that's a good chunk of his life playing Jon Snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: But uh, you know, hearing that he is so passionate about it, definitely as a fan, makes it more of an exciting thing. You know, if somebody who was basically the face of Game of Thrones, and yes, he's getting paid millions of dollars to do so, but if he mm-hmm. could get over how shit went down towards the end, I'm sure fans can too.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially because, like you said, like yes, he'll be making shitloads of money, but it was his idea, right? I mean, you don't come up with an idea. Right. And then go get your own group of writers and be like, here's my idea. Let's flesh You're- it out and go to HBO.
0: Right. If you aren't passionate as fuck. Yeah, about it. exactly. All right, next piece of news this week. Kind of a slow news week, really, to be honest with you. Uh, Disney is reportedly very impressed with the script for Wes Ball's Planet of the Apes film. But while he was originally attached to direct, now he's not. They're in talks with someone else to replace him. I didn't write down who that was. Also, reports indicate they are now looking for a new lead actor for the hopeful film trilogy. So, I don't know. Kate, you want to talk about this one. Do you have thoughts?
1: More so just that I didn't expect this to be a sequel trilogy to oh. uh, the Reeves films and uh, whoever the other guy was <laughs> directed yeah, the first know. one.
0: But wait, really? Are you sure about that? that?
1: That was one of the things that was reported is oh, that this wow. is a sequel trilogy. So uh, I know that they're looking for a new lead for this this trilogy. So I don't know if that means a human or uh, if right. that means <laughs> Good someone, point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, like I, I guess didn't Caesar died in the last one, right? I have Something no, like.
0: I don't even remember. To be honest, while well, I love those films, I think they're gorgeous. The third one kind of bores me.
1: It's it's a slower pace than you would expect for a movie called war for the planet of the apes like it's a little more thoughtful and it's yeah which which is
0: why people love reeves it's like how the fuck did you pull this off
1: yeah exactly (laughs) it's 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 great uh and so i'll also be interested in seeing like do they uh like how do they expand that world because the last one ends i if i remember correctly with the starts. Or, or the the guy falling from space or whatever the the original planet of the apes because th- isn't that like the whole premise is like a guy comes back to earth and kind he of. sees the statue of liberty head yeah he's like, damn you yeah but so it seemed to be like a full circle moment or like it's it's something is implied that this will lead into right whatever so y- my point is that seemed like it was the end. And then if they were going to do something else, it'd be something completely new. But to hear that this is a sequel trilogy uh, is like, so does that mean they're remaking the original movie? What does that look like? And like I said, are they just going to have a new lead as a different ape? Um, Well,
0: I think that, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no,
1: you go ahead. I read somewhere
0: that the rumored title is Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Here's the thing about the original film, which I haven't seen since I was, you know, a child, a legitimate child, like not like before I was a teenager. Um, But what I understand is that like the apes have ruled the earth for so long that 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 is the twist. Right. Like they're like he's so blown away that this was earth. He couldn't believe it. So I think there's a lot of room there from the beginning of when like the planet, Because right now it's been like how the planet of the apes became the planet of the apes. Now it's like, all right, it's started. So like, you know, human resistance cells popping up, perhaps ape versus ape warfare, sort yep. of like, a, or perhaps like a inverse avatar type story. I think there's a lot of room there. I would be fine with a, I suppose, a, you know, a Force Awakens type New Hope reboot of the original one, because... I don't think that they've done one since the one that starred Mark Wahlberg, and I think it was directed by Tim Byrne in 2001. Yeah. Like, I think that was a direct remake, and now so. people hated that. So like, I think it's been long enough to try to run that one back. What I will say is that the talent attached to it is interesting, right? Because Wes Ball has only done one thing. He is the director of the Maze Runner films, which mm-hmm. I think of outside of Hunger Games, that was probably the next most prominent one, right? Mm-hmm. did you like those at all because those were kind of coming out as you were that age
1: i liked the hunger games movies i i never got too big into the maze runner movies and i hated the divergent movies okay <laughs> yeah those i've not seen <laughs> yeah those are trash um so yeah it's it's an interesting pick it's like all right you like i as far as i understand the maze runner franchise is not as beloved as the hunger games but it is like okay this I've is serviceable them. yeah
0: there's are now and i will say you know the guy maze runner came out in 2014 i believe this right. dude's only 41 so he was a young director when he made you sure know, so he's still a young guy like point is there's room to grow
1: yeah yeah i mean you you're filling big shoes with matt reeves right you, yeah. you that's it and those two movies he made in particular were very acclaimed and i i love the first one as well so uh I'm I'm very curious to see where they're going. I'm I'm glad to hear this has movement because this was like talked about several years ago. And I was like, I will see. I feel like this is going to be one of those things that ends up in development hell, but um I'm I'm very interested in this wherever route they take it. Yeah.
0: And it's interesting too as well. I believe it's also a twentieth century film. It's not Disney off on their own. And whenever they seem to be involved, it seems to be like where they're putting their bit more serious fare. So that's yeah.
1: I wonder if this will be a Hulu movie then.
0: Oh, because right? Because prey, prey, right? Is that yeah. is that why you say that? I would argue for as iconic as Predator is, Planet of the Apes is a different scale.
1: Sure, I like it's, it's PG thirteen. I
0: feel like it's one of the like when you think of twists, yeah, like basically. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. and and it just feels like one of those iconic films from our parents' times. Like, if you were yeah. to name 10 or 15 of them, I feel like you would have to put that on the list somewhere. Um, yeah.
1: Whereas Predator, you know, it's sick and all, but... Sure. Yeah, I, I remember there's an episode of Mad Men where they go to the movie theater, and he takes his son to see Planet of the Apes, and then the kid's like, can we watch it again? And they just sit there, and it just plays again. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: All right, let's move on to the first reactions for Thor 4, which had its premiere on Thursday, June 23rd. Uh, I saw it that day as well. I tweeted that Thor, Love and Thunder is probably the funniest film in the MCU so far. I thought that the actual, because where I thought that Ragnarok was more like situational comedy, I think that the actual jokes in this one are funnier and are excellent and the cast from chris hemsworth natalie portman tessa thompson chris pratt so on and so forth are all great Mm -hmm. i think christian bale is obviously terrifying as gore but for me the plot felt flat and stakeless and i ended it by saying i'm not exactly sure if that's a thor 4 problem or an mcu without a big bad phase 4 problem so let me just read off a couple more opinions out there which I think you always got to take with a grain of salt because, you know, the fact is, if you put out a tweet that people want to hear, they're going to like and retweet it. So, uh, you know, uh, but Eric (laughs) Davis of Fandango and Rotten Tomatoes, I believe, said another classic Thor adventure. Thor Love and Thunder is everything I want it to be. Again, those are super vague statements, right? Another classic Thor adventure. What does that mean? Everything (laughs) I want it to be? Oh, thanks. That's literally a billion possibilities.
1: Yeah, I mean, classic Thor adventure. There's been... Three different genres of Thor movies leading into this one, right? So I mean, that could mean anything.
0: <sighs> Big, <laughs> colorful, weird, Guns and Roses fueled battles to go with a hopelessly romantic story about discovering love in unexpected places. Christian Bale and Russell Crowe are great. And Cork, Rachel Leishman of, and I'm just try, I'm just sharing these to like provide context of that my thoughts aren't the only ones out there. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We appreciate that. (laughs) uh, So she says she works for uh, the Mary Sue. She said, Holy shit. Thor love and thunder is the perfect blend of Taika at his best with comedy and a punch to the gut. All in one. I left this movie emotionally satisfied while also sobbing and just perfection. We stand a dad rock soundtrack in the words of my favorite new character. Ah, those are the goats. Um, (laughs) Who else we got here? Kirsten Acuna from Insider said, Christian Bale is phenomenally menacing as Thor Love and Thunder's villain. Gore the God Butcher, one of the creepiest Marvel villains we've got to date. So she only sticks to Thor, which I think is an Thor. Gore, mm-hmm. which is an obvious point because Bale is undeniably fucking sick. Like, he's, he's clearly bringing the Bale heat on this one Good. to the extent where I could... Uh, imagine people like being like dude chill out you know this is a marvel movie right (laughs) uh all right we got simon thompson saying thor love and thunder is vivid and vibrant blast that delivers so sort of a lot of general praise for its style and its humor and its spirit and i think all of those things are true but i enjoy storytelling for drama that is that is why i have built a career around it it is something that has always spoke to me i some of my favorite films of all, of all time are the ones that make me think and feel things so that is what i look for so while i acknowledge thor 4 is probably the funniest of the mcs films so far and that is a feeling right laughter is a great feeling so i give it all mm-hmm. the credit in the world for that but i also think it's a subpar action adventure superhero film so the result of those two together is just an average film and you know that's okay but i just wonder if we are in, and I wonder if Kevin Feige put out this quote, maybe because in the back of his head, he knows that this is a growing feeling. I just wonder if phase four in the MCU has a inertia, momentum, big, bad problem. And let me explain why, right? The first five or so years of MCU films were all origin stories, right? So we're mm-hmm. learning about these characters for the first time, where we're getting introduced to them for the first time. We're being brought into this world for the first time. It's very exciting. Then for the next five, seven years, it was sequels for characters we just met and love but also there was the overarching Thanos construction of we're keeping track of these six stones and these six stones could pop up in any given film and sort of alter the trajectory of where this is all going Thanos himself could pop up in any of these films so all the while not only are we getting new character stories but we have something to sort of piece it all together that in the way in which people like to rip on the MCU for basically just being a string of post credit scenes that leads you to the next one, the infinity stone and infinity saga and Thanos construction was genuinely exciting. And you wanted to know what went down next. The difference is now, and I love Shang-Chi. I thought it was great. I liked Eternals more than most, but now that we're so familiar with the MCU formula, it's very hard to surprise right. us with origin stories, right? Because we know them like the back of our hand. And not only that, we're so familiar with franchiseification. we know every important character that we're meeting is not gonna die because they mm-hmm. gotta keep them alive for sequels or potential spin-offs. So what you get is a vacuum of, unless there is a overall, at least for me, this is how I now feel having seen Thor 4, unless there is an overarching villain construction, i.e. Thanos, or they pull the, the multiverse is in danger card because then the whole universe is at stake, which I guess are inherently stakes, and then they're also able to sort of backbone that with cameos at the fucking wazoo. Mm -hmm. So even if you're let down by the plot, you're like, hey, Professor X, which (laughs) is sort of pulling the wool over our eyes, I guess, which is not ideal. But that is sort of where I find the MCU right now is that their formula has become so well-worn that they've boxed themselves in of the only way for them to create stakes, and this is fucking Thor, Love, and Thunder, right? First MCU character to get. At four films, Christian Bale is the bad guy, Portman is back. You would think the stakes would be huge, right? But at no point was I like eagerly anticipating finding out what the end of the film was. Right. I was laughing at the jokes, but mm-hmm. was I scared? Was I enjoying the ride? Yes. Was I looking forward to getting off the ride and telling my friends, dude, you've got to ride that ride? No, I wasn't. I was never blown away. So someone asked me on a scale of 1 to 10, which I'm not very good at, and I don't really give 10s. But I think if you keep it to just MCU films, there are such a thing as perfect MCU films. And I think Infinity War and Guardians 1 are those films. So if those are 10s and Ragnarok is an 8 or 9, I don't see how you put Thor anywhere, Thor four anywhere above like a six or seven. Mm. And to me, that's it's the biggest problem that I left with was its lack of stakes.
1: It, it's interesting because like there are a lot of comic books, right, that are just adventures. And that's okay. And like, so I, I go back and forth on like on one hand, it's cool after spending a decade building up to Thanos to have a few movies that are just like, we're just gonna go do a thing.
0: Let me but, just counter there because that's yeah. what I liked about Strange. I said it felt like a day in the life of Strange, but the problem with that is, and someone re- replied to me, not every film needs big stakes, and I'm not saying I need Thanos in every yeah. film. Yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. saying is now that I am so that now that I'm so in tune with how most MCU films end. And I know none of them are going to die. What's the drama?
1: Yes. Especially in a movie like like this, right? Where you have a guy named Gore the God Butcher. I don't know what happens in this movie, but there's a precedent set with that kind of a character. And, And people know from his history in the comics that this dude's a bad motherfucker. And I don't, I, again, I don't know to what extent they utilize that to cause some chaos in this movie, but it sounds to me like the status quo remains. And, uh, you know, that that's kind of frustrating for me to hear it's a character that's <laughs> elevated by Bale. okay yeah so like it's it's frustrating for me to hear because uh that's a character where i was like you know i know this guy probably won't stick around because christian bale and he has other things to do but um, right, i was exactly. like this guy could have the potential menace of a thanos where he messes some shit up whether that be killing a main character or whatever but but if you
0: go into a film knowing that the villain is not going to stick around and the hero is you're completely devoid of tension
1: sure yeah like even then like i mean you can still like have him like dispatch of a character and then die himself you know if he killed uh valkyrie or or natalie portman or whoever and thor unleashes rage and kills him himself then that that still creates like oh wow this had some weight to it but like it still sounds like to me that you know they they had an opportunity to create the baddest motherfucker. I mean the trailers are very upbeat, but then when it switches to gore in the trailers you're like, "Oh, where there's a tonal shift here." Yeah. And I can imagine maybe that shift is in the movie but doesn't do anything with it. Am I correct in that assumption? Well, tonal I- shift but not a story shift.
0: There's a visual shift because as yeah. you've seen in like trailers, he li- he he there's a point where he lives in a black and white world. Sure. But I just I keep hitting my head against the wall of going into a third act knowing how it's all gonna play out. Right now, there are various aspects of like you pointed out, side side characters could theoretically die, and mm-hmm. they have and they will, but it's so few and far between. Like, yes, we know guardians of the Galaxy 3 is going to kill off one character, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe. But think about outside of that, how many major MCU characters die. And again, I'm not out here saying that I need to start seeing bodies stacking up or Galactus in every film. I'm just more so questioning what the formalization of these films has done to my dramatic enjoyment of them.
1: Right, because when you said that Infinity War is close to 10 as possible for the MCU, probably. I mean, that's a movie where you go into it knowing... Some guys probably aren't going to make it out of this one. And granted, they all came back at some point, most of them. But you still felt the weights of loss and dread and tension, and and that was effective.
0: And even in the theater, watching them, as soon as I saw Spider Man and Black Panther die, I was like, "All right,
1: they're coming know, back." Yeah. But you know, you but still there, feel like re- Whoa. but there
0: remains but a. It was like visually stunning. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and B there was still a dramatic tension of how in the hell are they going to fix this? So, yes, yes, exactly. You, but here, since there is no infinity stones to regather and no mm-hmm. humanity to bring back, Thor going to win and Gore is yes. going to lose. And that's how things, <laughs> things are going to go until Thor five. Yeah. And you know, it, 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 it's tough. And that's why I think Kevin Feige has said, uh, you know, we've been placing hints about what the next saga is going to be. I think the biggest, witch of one came in Loki how they talked about if you tamper with timelines, you'll have a, quote, multiversal war. I think Loki has already done that since we know at the end of Loki season one, Mobius doesn't even know who he is, which implies he's in an entirely new universe entirely. We've got the no way home shenanigans, Doctor Strange shenanigans. So I think it's safe to assume that that is what's going to be next. We also sort of know that Kang is going to be a part of that. Kang was in Loki and Kang is going to be in, ant-man 3 and probably more films from there and kang is going to be great and secret wars is going to be great i just have a genuine concern at this point of how marvel is going to continue to do service by the micro without the help of the
1: macro yeah uh I, i at this point i i feel like phase four is just going to be there's no offense it's just here's some stories to cool down and then my hope at least is phase five is like yeah we're going to do secret wars and we're going to start really laying the foundation for that because we already have small fragments of that but we haven't gotten the big you know at the end of avengers one thanos turns into the camera or i think age of ultron or whichever movie it was when he grabs the glove out of the closet or whatever the fuck that is and you know not every movie has to end that way, but like, those are cornerstone moments of like a story where you're like framework. Yeah. That's that's why I've been saying. It
0: provides the framework for drama that even, you know, but again, they've already pulled that trick once. So how effective is it gonna be the second time around? That is why I think they need, I've been saying this for years, to make a legitimate anti-hero film and to make a Doctor Mm -hmm. Doom movie. And that's why I think the Thunderbolts film is a wise move because the heroic formula has become so well-versed at this point that if they don't, you know, they're trying to change things up with TV and they are, but it's still largely the same formula. And I think if you would introduce some grayer characters that will inherently introduce grayer stories, which therefore is something new for them.
1: I wonder if the TV shows didn't exist and we weren't, for lack of a better term, oversaturated with Marvel every month at this point uh if we would be feeling this way if it was just we had you know black widow shang chi eternals and let me tell you they
0: don't give a shit because we've watched every single one
1: of them (laughs) yeah all record-setting viewerships with the exception of like miss marvel or whatever but uh yeah no you're you're completely right i i just wonder if that changes our frame of mind in any way by not having so much of it constantly feeling like what is this building towards you you you've asked me that to to stick part of this because you you're telling me this all matters in the grand scheme is all connects, but I'm not seeing the, the ties, you know? So yeah. it's, it, I I think that probably comes down to it as well. It's just like there's some frustration.
0: And again, I just want to make clear, I'm not trying to be the, I need infinity stones in every right. film. What I'm saying is this is the construction in the world that they've built for us. Yeah. And now that some of those, parts aren't quite working the same way I think there's some serious breakdown I'm sure if you did a study of like MCU Rotten Tomatoes scores that you would see sort of a slight decrease over the last year so when I walked out of Doctor Strange that's why I'm going to be fascinated to see what like actual fans and not journalists tweeting for likes are going to say about this film because when I walked out of Doctor Strange too I thought it, it was going to be Universally beloved. And Mm. I think it is largely a successful film, but there has, and especially since it came out on Disney Plus, there's been a growing voice of fuck this movie. This time around, I walked out of Thor thinking, like, oh man, I was kind of let down by that. And then all of the first reactions I've seen so far have been the inverse of that. So I think the fan, I think this is going to be a great litmus test from where we're going from here because the MCU had three films this year, right? I would Mm. argue if Chadwick Boseman was still alive. Black Panther 2 would be just as big of a deal as the first two, but that is unfortunately not the case. So are you going to tell me that people are going to be more excited for Black Panther 2 than Thor 4, Dr. Strange 2? I don't think so. So I think Thor 4 is going to be an incredible litmus test of where the MCU fandom is with the product, with the cinematic product they're currently getting.
1: I mean, I have seen very casual people say like, I didn't like Dr. Strange and I thought it was boring. And so like, they weren't like, you know, like, Oh yay, more. They were like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, my boy is just a very
0: average movie guy, just a regular dude, right? He's literally like the last year or so it's just been mid, just completely. Yeah, mid. that's that's yeah. the
1: reception I'm getting, and and the last thing I think I would probably tag on this conversation is like everything feels more separated than it ever has in the MCU. You know, like even in in Thor: The Dark World, Captain America shows up for half a second, Grant's like Loki or whatever, but like people right. are popping in and out. Uh, something I always think of when I think of the MCU and how it could do better is the Incredibles. There's a, a moment at the beginning of the movie where Mr. Incredible is fighting crime and Frozone flies past. And he's just like, Hey, you gotta go get, get ready for your wedding or whatever. And then just dips off. Like superheroes just exist and they're interacting together, right? Like they don't have to be fighting crime together. He's just cruising by to his own crime. But Couldn't you argue that Thor four is doing that with uh, the guardians? I suppose. I, I guess. I. I more. My point is, like, I don't need them to be plot points or whatever. You know, like if you have, up, yeah, if you have all these guys in New York, like <laughs> if Spider Man,
0: like if Spider Man simply swung by one day and Mrs. Marvel. And like said, hey, kid, good job. Keep going. Exactly. And then 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 fuck off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like that's that's what a superhero universe should feel like where they all exist. I mean, so many of them exist on the East Coast or in New York or whatever. Like, why do none of them really ever get seen together outside of like, we're going to team up and defeat this force? I just that's weird to me. Like the whole thing at the end of Hawkeye was everyone's like, oh, spider mans going to swing by because at the end of No Way Home. He's doing, you know, the the locations align and the time looks like it aligns, right? Right. And it just right. didn't happen, and yeah. so it was like, that's weird. But you know, that's just something I I've always had kind because of because I think with. the
0: problem is if you have him swing by while they're doing a fight, how do you reason that he doesn't get sure?
1: Involved? <laughs> it's 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 not but easy. The, but, but but
0: again, this is all sort of what I've been saying that the only reason that we're in this place is because of what we've come to expect and know the yeah. MCU is.
1: They've broken our brains. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I said this to you, I have so much cognitive dissonance about how I feel at the MCU at this point. I don't know what way is up. I don't know if I want a compelling character drama or next big saga or if I want comedies or dramas. I just know that the last year has felt bumpier than the MCU
1: ever has. Yes, I, I completely agree. I mean, it's just like there's no uh, there's no end in sight to this phase like you could tell me this phase started with whatever film and it ended with whatever film and i don't think anyone's going to be able to tell the difference whereas you start phase one iron man avengers right those are changing moments within the mcu
0: i will say that i'll throw them a lifeline by saying that covid did fuck up scheduling, so there's been some backlog and some overstuffing but yeah, I can't wait to see what the fans think about Thor 4, so let us know when you see it at post-cred Pod. All right, now on to our interview with Paul Warnick and Rhett Reese, the screenwriters of Spiderhead, Deadpool, and more Okay, folks, today I am joined by Rhett Reese and Paul Warnick, a.k.a. the real heroes here. You know them <laughs> as the screenwriters. You know them as the screenwriters. Yeah, you know of- how to butter us up. You know how to butter us <laughs> up. As somebody who hopes to be in your shoes one day, it's the best that I could do. Um, That's you, awesome. You know them of the screenwriters of films such as Deadpool 1 and 2, Zombieland, Life, and their newest film, Spiderhead, which recently hit Netflix. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today, and how are you?
3: We're great. Thank you for having us, Eric. I
0: I am thrilled to talk to you You guys have created some of the most enjoyable films of my sort of 20s, teens. So, I mean, if that's not the time to sort of enjoy the work that you guys do, I'm not sure what is. I want to start with- Oh man, I feel
2: so old. I almost threw out my back just hearing you say the word teens and and (laughs) 20s, but yeah.
0: Zombieland, 09. Yeah, I was, whew, freshman in high school, <laughs> but now I'm starting to knock on the uh, door. I'm going to have
2: a word with your parents for letting you watch that. Uh, you know, Actually, Zombieland's not too bad. Had they yeah. let me watch Deadpool at that age, I would have had a word with or two with that.
0: Uh, I'm on the verge of 30, so I'm not that far behind <laughs> y'all. Talk to me about, so the article that this film is based on came out in 2010, which is sort of right in the throes of the opioid epidemic. How does the fact that 12 years have passed since that change the story was that thinking incorporated into your writing at all it's a great question no one's asked us that i mean uh, th- i would
2: say the tragedy is that it's no less relevant now than it was then you you would like to think that maybe we we would have solved some of those issues by now instead i think they've gotten even worse uh you know drugs that there's a line in the movie one of my favorite lines which is just amnesty saying or, or jeff saying can i get you something for how you're feeling and i think one of the things this movie is about is just the fact that society is constantly you know putting in front of our faces and under our noses things for how we're feeling right and whether it's a whether it's a a soda or whether it's a drug or whether it's a television show or whatever we are constantly bombarded with with essentially escapist things you know things that will allow us to escape however bad we're feeling that day and unfortunately, drugs is one of those things. And and so we wanted to write a, a movie about that and, and about private prisons, which is also a, it was also a topical issue at the time and remains so. Um, and, and again, I think the tragedy is what you say that you know a decade can pass and we're still wrestling with a lot of the same things.
0: I would say the difference though is now sort of the veil has been pulled, right? Like I feel like society 10, 12 years ago. I don't think we were aware of how screwed we were being, but now the general culture and shows like Dope Sick and films like this. Like George Saunders would have been on the
2: front edge of this, you know, it's like, and that's to his great credit that he was make, asking some of these questions, you know, 11 years ago.
0: So talk to me about how this script or this story found you guys and why it spoke to you. The number one adjective that I thought of in my notes was callousness. And I'm just curious what brought you to that kind of story in these kind of times?
3: Well, um, you know, again, it appeared in the New Yorker uh, about 10 years ago, the, they developed a, a film and TV department to exploit their material and and uh, the short story ended up on our desk uh, by uh, an executive uh, over at Condé Nast uh, named Jeremy Steckler what, what drew us creatively to it was just this idea of, you know, it did feel like it was in our wheelhouse, strangely, like, no, it wasn't a superhero movie and it wasn't based on IP wasn't on toy. It wasn't the general branding stuff that, that, that Hollywood uh, usually, you know, uh, uh, likes to make, but, but tonally, it felt like us, you know, just the, the mixing of, of, dark comedy and drama and, you know, even, even uh, in love, love, there's a love story in there, the heart, you know, it just, it felt like a match of tones that, that we really like to do. It was left of center. Um, it, it, it felt topical even, even 10 years ago when we dove in, it felt topical, as you mentioned uh, with, with, uh, you know, uh, pharmacology and, and it was sci-fi, but it wasn't, you know distant far sci-fi it felt like it could happen today or tomorrow um it just kind of hit all those buttons and and got us you know our minds turning and we said we're doing it we we love it we're going to write it on spec which means we were they didn't pay us to write it we wrote it for free um uh uh with the intent to direct it um and uh um again the movie took 10 years our life got very different you know over the course of those 10 years with deadpool taking off and and you know our time was was limited and joe kaczynski came aboard and it sold to netflix and chris you know got his hands on the script chris hemsworth and and we were off to the races if there's such a thing as a a movie that takes 10 years to make so
0: you know your point about tone mashup is epitomized in that first scene where you're able to draw out both humor and dread from the same laugh (laughs) it's the same guy laughing in the same tenor and tone but the feelings that I felt watching that scene swung wildly I could totally see why that that's very kind yeah we appreciate that a lot so you brought up Chris did you intentionally seek him out or someone like him for the role of Steve was it a matter of trying to cast against type or simply find the most gorgeous man on earth
3: <laughs> yes and yes i mean it's interesting you know uh, what we've we've found uh you know in hollywood is a lot of times these big movie stars they get offered the same roles right they're big you know charismatic movie stars and they they play charismatic movie stars and and they're uh we found this you know kind of almost on, you know, actor by actor is that they they a lot of them want to play against type like they they want to do something different. And 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 Chris has proven, you know, how brilliant he is, you know, by, you know, running with this role and 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 really, you know, showing a different side, a side that I don't think, you know, the audience has ever seen before. Um, and so we didn't write it with Chris in mind. Um, you know, when his name came up, we said, "Absolutely, that would be amazing." And uh, and and again, I think he tapped into the material and and the prospect of of playing against you know what what the world is used to him used to seeing him as and and uh, and he he you know he signed on almost almost instantaneously after that.
0: When you guys landed your two stars, was there ever a thought of Who's gonna play which part? Did you ever sort of, ex- no,
3: no,
2: not in this case. I mean, we we certainly over the years we're we're, we're thinking about different combos of people and um but I look Miles plays a little younger than Chris I mean he's probably probably not that much younger actually probably not even younger I mean I'm not sure but
0: I think it's about like five years or so yeah
2: yeah he plays a little younger and I think that was important we always felt like Steve Obnesti was channeling Steve Jobs a little bit we even put that in the script like young Steve Jobs or you know you know 40-ish and and so uh he needed to have a ton of uh, sort of charisma and intelligence um and chris was a great fit for that um uh so no we never thought of swapping those two uh and i can't remember which one of them committed first actually but but uh, but i do think they're a terrific pairing you know miles brings a great everyman quality and a sort of a, a the kind of smarts that you underestimate uh because of his back of his background um in this case in in the movie it's it's a great pairing. They had cool chemistry.
0: Yeah, for sure. So we touched on it a bit, and I always love when my interview subjects bring up something that I want to ask about. You guys brought up tone and the ability to flip-flop, which is something that I really enjoyed that you guys do. But what I'm curious about is, I feel like a lot of tone comes with either the shot and frame or the score being used. How are you able to visualize tone flips on the page? Good question. I mean, I, I think Zombieland
2: taught us, there was a moment in Zombieland that that really stuck out to both of us where Tallahassee tells this story about his dead dog, which then in in turn turns out to be his dead child. And it was it was the heaviest emotional moment of the movie. It was really weighted. And on the heels of him of him telling it, We stuck a joke uh, in there where he picks up some real money. He's playing Monopoly with real money, and he dabs his eyes and he says, I haven't cried that hard since Titanic. And we always wondered to ourselves, like, would that play? Could you take a tone and shift it that dramatically within a scene? And the first time it went up in front of an audience, it went from they were clearly sort of silently shell shocked to learn that it was his child, and then he made that joke, and they burst into laughter, and and we just this light bulb went off for us, and we just thought, oh my gosh, it's so easy to shift tones in a heartbeat if if you if you do it right, and and so we've and if you have a felt, guy that good
0: to read yeah, the line, <laughs> yes,
2: exactly. I mean, like Woody killed it, but but I almost think we're not even you know scene by scene thinking about shifts in tone it's almost moment by moment we're we're thinking about shifts in tone and as you point out there are other things that contribute to that the look of a piece the music in this case was great this ironic yacht rock which i mean my joke we'll get about to that yacht, next. yeah i mean okay well i'll i'll save my joke about yacht rock but but um uh are we pride ourselves in in an ability to shift tone from heart to sadness to drama to comedy to thrills uh as quickly as we can so if it and works then, and, it's great. and sometimes it doesn't work but you, you 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 do your best
3: the the harder the shift you know kind of the more extreme the the you know audience reaction you know if again done right so
0: so on tone i mean on, sorry on tone on the soundtrack obviously as you brought up there's a very purposefulness to the Yacht Rock. How did you guys land on that genre? What about it made you think it was a good sort of inverse, of the story that you were telling? Because I sort of felt like the bubbly, popish nature of it was a direct contrast to sort of the callousness of Steve and the, war- and the sort of monolithic world that he's in. So just speak to me about the soundtrack and how you, A, landed on the genre and B, landed on those songs
3: yeah i mean it was it was very intentional it was the the idea that there was this the, these horrible things going on in this you know uh, you know prison you know the this penitentiary and yet you know there's this joyful almost um uh, you know tropical yeah yeah <laughs> yeah uh you know feel to to the music and and not only is it the soundtrack but it's you know not only is the audience hearing it but the the inmates are hearing it right this is amnesty's choice this is what he's funneling to everybody every morning and and you know afternoon uh so again we just thought you know the unironic you know um decision of abnesty to listen to these these you know, Poppy, you know, yacht rock, almost there's a cheesiness to them, but they're wonderful. I mean, like, I love them. Well, now he- I'll hit
2: you with my joke, which is uh, if I showed up in heaven, if I were so lucky to get into heaven, I would not be shocked if Yacht Rock were my playlist. But if I showed up to hell, I would also not be shocked if Yacht <laughs> Rock were my playlist. Like it's it's right on the edge there, and that's what we love
0: about it. I mean, I feel like you sort of applied that joke to this film. That a little bit sort yeah. of the whole I mean, thing. It's, it's yeah. all, I mean, it's, it's like all the... they're
2: they're both in love with the poppy music and kind of tormented by it at the same time. Right. It both it both papers over the cracks, but also is itself something that that is you have to kind of suffer through on a daily basis.
0: So, guys, I now want to move on to the most important work of your career so far, and that's 2017's Life. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I like Have it. you ever gotten that before? <laughs> oh, people so, you know, it does inspire some
2: real aficionados. There are people who love that movie. And 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 they'll usually uh, you know, kind of pull you aside and say, I know you're gonna expect I'm gonna say Deadpool, but you know, that kind of thing. I really
0: love life. Let me tell you, uh, so I just love space films in general, whether it be adventure or romance or horror. And I've re and I've watched the film tons of my life and I just rewatched it last night. And the brutality of every single death never wears off oh, ever, it's brutal. ever. So wow. what, what I, what I want to start is, I, I mean, the, the star power here is incredible, right? So, and I co- kind of asked you this about uh, your new film. Was there ever a role where Jake and Ryan switch parts? I think
3: that that well, yeah. well, might be yes. Yeah, I, I mean, it. I don't think they switched
2: parts. But Ryan was going to play Jake's part originally, and then schedule narrowed it down to where he he had to be the guy who died off. And the, so then we ended up getting Jake. But so so it was it was it wasn't a part swap as much as it was we really did think Ryan was going to be the lead of the movie, and then it switched. <laughs>
0: I also think I'm just so thrilled to nerd out about this film. Ryan does some incredible dramatic work in this movie. Amazing. Ryan's fucking brilliant. I was stunned by like rewatching his, the the little moment where he takes off the earpiece is such. Oh,
2: oh, brutal. Knowing that thing's inside of him and knowing that he knows he's fucked. It's just, Oh, it's I've got
0: chills thinking about
2: it. I I really believe that Ryan Reynolds and Chris Hemsworth to, to name two these super handsome, you know, kind of muscled guys—they're—they're they're underestimated by the town. Like, like those guys can act the crap out of stuff. Like Ryan's a phenomenal actor. Chris showed us in in Spiderhead that he can act the way no one ever thought he could, in ways he he, he ever could. They are intensely talented, those two men.
0: So you kind of touched on it. The convenience of killing Ryan off so early was because of his scheduling. But was that first to second act twist always in the script from jump? Yes. yes. And did you seek out an A-lister for the yes. shock value? Oh hell yeah. We we always <laughs> wanted someone who who would
2: feel like they were gonna be the star of, of the movie. So yeah. yes.
0: I love I just I love that movie. The ending is one of just one of the most Dread-filled moments I could ever remember in film. It's what?
3: so dark that that ending is it's so dark. dark. And how, how the studio allowed us to end it so darkly? I have no idea. Was
0: there that. ever a cut where the ships go where they're supposed to be? Where the two pods no, go? No, wow. exactly. they really they let you guys rip,
2: huh? Yeah, Daniel espinoza committed to it. The studio committed to it. Maybe to our detriment. I'm not sure because we're not going to get a sequel to that movie. Like uh, they didn't do no, quite the box it, office it, it, it should. But let but it, it was, live the way it does. Oh my gosh. We Thank enjoyed it you, a lot. Art, we awesome. just thought, you know, when David Allison pitches the idea, he said Alien was his my favorite movie and he said this is the head of Skydance and he said I really want to do something on the international space station in weightlessness. I really want to get gravity and you know, the lack of gravity in a in a story like that. And so we went all in and uh you know, it's all it all it will always live in the shadow of Alien, as any horror uh, science fiction will. Of course. And so I don't think you can do the haunted house in space and not have you know live in the shadow of Alien. But we did our darndest to make the characters be smart and make the monster be even smarter and use use and that unique. weightlessness to our advantage. Yeah.
0: I found. Calvin to be, you know, I, I've seen a million evil space monsters in my life, and the threateningness of Calvin, who's effectively like a jellyfish stingray type thing. <laughs> right, incredible. Yeah. So, yeah, I really just mean that. life. Thank is you offensive. so much, you. Eric. That means a lot. We don't get a chance to talk about it too often. Oh, so. man, if I ever get you guys again, we could spend the whole time on it. <laughs> Speaking of Daniel Espinosa, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you guys, what did you think of the Morbius memedom? And is it possible that a Morbius joke Works its way into the Deadpool 3 script. I don't know we I, haven't I, seen I, Morbius.
3: Yeah, I'm embarrassed to say we haven't. But got, have you seen
2: the yeah. meme culture around it? No, I no. haven't even seen that. That's shocking to say. We've been so busy, Eric, and, and I've got little kids, and Paul's got teenage kids. It's like we're just underwater half the time. So, no, I'm The sh- I'm meme was to, to such
0: an extent that Sony decided to re release the film in theaters after they had already pulled it. It only made like $83,000. <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, that oh, sometimes man. can be a, a yeah. But an but because but... they
0: were convinced by how popular of a meme it had become. So when you guys sit down, pen Deadpool three. If you work in a oh, Morbius well, joke, wow. you'll now get it's a on our radar. Low.
2: Now it's on our radar.
0: So, all right. So now now is the time that as an interviewer, I feel guilty doing, but it's part of my job. I've got to ask. We know him, it's what, coming. It's okay. What's to come next? But I'm going to start with? Ghosted. Okay. Yeah. is that uh, fair? I- Ghosted is uh has been uh
3: production is wrapped on Ghosted. It's in the edit bay. Uh it doesn't yet have a release date on Apple, but uh it's it's uh Chris um got it. Evans, Evans. Evans. too <laughs> many. Chris's. We work with so many Chris's now
2: that uh... we're really revealing our age over and over again. Here. don't know <laughs> oh. the Morbius memes, can't remember people's names. So Jeez. let
0: let me ask on that film, the romance adventure genre, I think, is one of the most underutilized. We've seen it sort of bubble back up in recent years to Middle success with the likes of The Lost City and Jungle Cruise. Are there any films in your mind's eye that you're particularly channeling when you wrote the script?
2: Say, Romancing the Stone, maybe Raiders of the Lost Ark. Even though ours is more romantic comedy than Raiders would be. Um, what else? Maybe like a Mr. True, and Mrs. true Smith. Lies, maybe. Yeah, I don't. Wow, I awesome. Don't, I, uh, yeah, the, It's it's interesting. It's it's uh, it, the fact that we can't come up with too many is maybe indicative of the fact that either there need to be more or not. We'll find out, but. But we love uh, that African queenie kind of you know mm-hmm. great uh, backdrop adventure with uh, a lot of fun, water. fish out of water and and two people who uh, are in over their heads in this crazy situation. Um, we, we love that and this was our chance to lean into the romantic comedy like we've we've had a lot of movies where romantic comedy is, our, our B plot, right? You know, it's like Deadpool's got a romance, Zombieland has a romance, Spiderhead has a romance. You know, it's like less romantic comedy in that case, but but we just wanted to lean a little romance forward and still have the craziness. This movie is crazy; it awesome. has all kinds of huge action set pieces. One one of which, the likes of which no one's ever seen before. Trust me, it's awesome. So oh. uh, so we're excited.
0: What about the combination of Chris Evans and Anna DeArmas excites you most? Except, shall I say the obvious.
2: <laughs> they look great. They do look great. Those two. Uh, look, I mean, I think she's another person who's, you know, maybe underestimated because of her looks, as is he. I, I think, again, these, these top movie stars, sometimes you underestimate the fact that they can do a lot of different things. And I think we're going to see it in, in their chemistry. And, and
0: again, the chemistry between those two, I think it's just going to be amazing. awesome. Right. So it's time and I'm going to do my best to not try to gotcha uh, and, and, you know, <laughs> ask in a somewhat respectful way. Are there any particular characters that you're uh, MCU characters that you're looking forward to making fun of or any MCU aspects in general?
3: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's terrible.
0: <laughs> that's fine. Look, man, me. That's, I, I deserve,
2: deserve, it. Like, how I many deserve movies, it. I deserve it. I deserve it. How many movies have they given us? 25, 26, 28, something like that. Like we have a treasure trove of things to, to poke fun at now uh and uh and deadpool's <laughs> equal opportunity so everyone's fair game
0: okay let me try and be a bit broader then what <laughs> what what are you excited for deadpool to bring to the mcu most other than the obvious sort of meta humor tone
3: hmm.
2: <laughs> i mean look i think i think it presents a wonderful opportunity for fish out of water right i mean deadpool is a, a lunatic uh at the the center of a movie usually the lunatics are the supporting characters and the protagonist is reasonably sane and and our our movies flipped so to drop a a lunatic into a very sane world like uh it's it's just like straight butter man it's gonna be really fun
0: gotcha all right next here is (laughs) Given the amount of Wolverine jokes in your films, I have to ask, any ideas or any suggestions of who should take over the role in the MCU? Because I'm already looking forward to Deadpool doing some sort of, wait, you're not Hugh, joke. Uh, Suggestions. Uh, It's got to be someone
2: shorter this time. I see, you know, maybe a Zach Galifianakis or a Patton Oswalt, (laughs) someone like that uh no you guys are know. veterans you guys are too good at this <laughs> I, I don't know look we don't we don't have any inside information on that even if we if we did we couldn't share it but we don't just from from, uh,
0: from a team of guys who clearly revere the character
2: i, I would honestly go more of an undiscovered person because hugh jackman was reasonably undiscovered the first time and i think there was initial bucking at oh he's too tall or he doesn't look right or what is this australian thing and um and i i think that uh if they're playing their cards right they probably should make it someone we've never we've never seen oh know, don't
3: so. worry they'll play their cards right you know, oh yeah he knows what he's doing over there yeah yeah trust me you all right any it, of our
0: opinions he, L- he, last he, one on, he, on Deadpool and then I will spare you guys as I can see you squirming <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, because I'm really everything, trying to we, just, everything we say Eric becomes a headline headline I know I writers say no comment about Deadpool. I know games, I know well that, I, that's And that's why I
0: I try to ask not so much who's the villain going to be and more so just like about the character and how he fits into this world. So to that point, you know, as spoiler less as possible, are there any characters in the MCU that you've earmarked like, oh, Deadpool will get great, get along great with him or those two will get along terribly?
3: Yes.
2: (laughs) I mean, look, I think I look, I, I do think. We do obviously sit in our head, imagine Deadpool having a conversation with character X, character Y, character Z, because right there you just go, is that funny or isn't it? And and the answer is uh, very often, yes.
0: <laughs> is he going to tell Peter Parker to go fuck himself? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, uh, let, let me swing back over to Spider-Head now that I've put you through that Deadpool torture. Maybe I missed it. What was up with the Shitfinger subplot? Did that resolve itself? Because you find out who it was, but was it just something that you guys found funny? What, what it was, was on It there? was
2: not really supposed to be a character arc. It was supposed to just be a, a one scene joke. And then someone had the idea of, well, why don't we just find out who it is at the end? Like, yeah, it came from, it, it came from, what's that? No,
3: I'm saying someone was like, hey, let's make, our, who is Shitfinger? And we're like, well, <laughs> yeah. we could kind of put it in at the end. It was intended to be just a, a single joke. A little flavor,
2: yeah. Not, no pun intended, or, or, or that's disgusting. But the, but yeah, I, I went to camp as a kid, and this is this happened at my camp. Someone started writing in feces on the stall uh, door walls in the bathroom, and there was a, a sort of a who done it? Who, who is shit finger? And we, uh, we sneaked it into our, our, you
3: you look disgusted right now. Yeah.
2: I mean, we, we, we sneaked it into our, uh, I should take take my
0: hands away from um, my mouth while you're talking about this.
2: Everyone's
3: like, oh, uh,
2: anyway, we sneaked it into our television show, Wayne and a piece of graffiti in this juvenile detention center it says who is shitfinger but this is our first chance to actually have someone say the word on screen but the It" was never solved and so we didn't feel the need to solve it on screen but someone thought we should solve it
0: um gents final one and then i'll let you go or two if i have time and this one's going to be a bit big picture there's a WeWork show there's an uber show there's a elizabeth home show of course fincher made the facebook film you guys have made this what do you think it says about our society that we appear to be turning on these CEO figures that we so revered 20, 15 years ago?
3: Well, here's a scoop, Eric. We have a, a new Coke show, a 1980s uh, new Coke show at Apple. Um, oh, awesome! Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so this is a genre we're we're playing in too. Um, I don't know. It's just these shows aren't about corporations right they're about characters and and there's a lot of interesting stuff that happens you know in in, you know boardrooms that that you know deal so much more about you know humanity than than business and and so um we also wrote
2: a mcdonald's movie we're hoping to get made mcscam and that's still possibly coming so we'll, we'll see where that gets but sorry didn't mean to interrupt paul go ahead
3: uh I, I can't remember where I was, but uh yeah, people
0: I mean, it, and not it, people corpse.
2: exactly.
3: Yeah. And and so it's just tapping into that that world and and uh and you know giving people a window, you know, into interesting characters, you know, doing interesting things. Uh um, it's just a wonderful setting, I think, to to play that out, to play.
2: Yeah. And I do think we like to tear down our heroes. So we build them up and then we tear them down. And I think the billionaire and the CEO, like these people are, are just like actors or sports stars. And, you know, we, we love to build them up, but then we also love it when they stumble and reveal their humanity. And and uh, I think it's inherently interesting.
0: Gentlemen, I've got to wrap here. Today was a thrill for me. I loved your guys' work and it was so much fun to talk about all the thoroughly enjoyable films that you've brought into my life over the next 10 years uh hopefully the next time i see you we could actually talk about deadpool 3 a bit huh okay yeah maybe yes. maybe
2: off the record sometime yes yes, <laughs> yes.
0: and deadpool, folks that is deadpool writers say yes yes and folks that is how you do a callback joke and end a interview Boom, thank- <laughs> you, thank guys are, you, you guys are pros pros thank you very much we gentlemen. really appreciate Take it care. eric appreciate thank it. you for your Take thoughtful all questions right. all right bye-bye bye-bye All right, and thank you to Paul and Red for joining me for our awesome conversation. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't seen Life, and I spoiled it for you, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> if you, but if you still want to see it, go see it again because it's Good a fucking, fucking incredible movie. Join us next week when we will be discussing.
1: I think what? just Miss Marvel. I, I, Miss I Marvel. Don't think there's any movies. Terminal
0: List comes out next Friday, I think, which was fucking sweet. I really enjoyed that.
1: Um. That's Elvis that. and and the Black Phone are out this weekend, but I I can't imagine we're gonna talk about those.
0: You're seeing the uh, Black Phone first thing,
1: right? Oh yeah, I'm doing this weekend. I'm so hyped for my boy the the Grabber. <laughs> <laughs> That,
0: that, that is a fucking pervy name for a bad guy i Holy mean he's literally a child predator I know, it's I know. crazy it's a, i know i know scott derrickson man what you a know, guy no wonder disney was like yeah maybe this is a bit too much <laughs> yeah I, I get the sam vibes. can you come uh comb this down for us uh all right y'all we will talk to you next week i hope you enjoy your weekend My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.